0: hey everyone this is ecology and existentialism and my name is mason my goal for this podcast is to simply share a paragraph or quote from thinkers who have written on either of the topics and give a few of my thoughts i admire both ideologies and hope to simply spread their brilliance um i thought a little bit more of the direction i want to take the podcast and i think it's definitely going to be taking more of a turn towards the ecology side um maybe with like um, an existentialist. Outlook on some of the ecology topics that I talk about, but I definitely do want to read more on existentialism. It's just that right now I am really deep into learning more of ecology and the environment and uh, our responsibilities and role in it. So yeah, I just wanted to update you with that, and I want to apologize for my voice because I was just at uh, summer camp this week and kind of lost it halfway through. So it's starting to come back, but um it's just not 100%. So yeah, this week I'm going to be reading from Norman wersba's book, uh Food and Faith: A Theology of Eating. This book I read 2 years ago, but it honestly changed my entire perspective on how we eat and how we observe food and the Our role in the production and also consumption of it so through that through reading this book my diet entirely changed Um, I became more aware of what I was buying in the stores Um, eventually became a vegetarian Uh, the book doesn't advocate for like for that for example of going vegan or vegetarian Um, it just cause us to be more aware of the the spiritual connectedness we have to our food and the land and um our buying choices. So it was just a, a literally a life-changing book and uh, I highly recommend it. Um uh this week we're going to be reading from the chapter uh the roots of eating our life together in gardens. Um, honestly, every chapter in this book, I just really enjoyed, um, there's, (laughs) I I was looking at the highlights I have, and there's 37 pages, uh, on my e-reader of highlights, um, there could probably be more, I, it's one of those books that I could definitely go back and read again, um, and, yeah, so I guess let's get right into reading the chapter, uh, again, I'm going to leave a little moment of silence just for us to reflect on this, and then I'll offer my own personal um, personal experience relating to this this paragraph and maybe a little bit of an analysis. So here it goes. This is, uh, again, from Norman Wershba's book, Food and Faith, A Theology of Eating. Gardens matter because they are a primary and especially intimate site for the working out of our place in a world that is at once wild and civilized, human and non-human. Gardens reveal that we depend on created forces of life over which we have little control even as they exhibit our desire to give this life a human shape. To be a gardener is to be involved in one of the most fundamental of human tasks namely the effort to understand human creatureliness as our life together with other creatures and God. Put differently, gardens are a primary and practical site through which a culture takes shape. It is helpful to recall that in its earlier Middle English usage, usage, the word culture referred to a piece of land. More specifically, it referred to a cultivated piece of land. The Latin cultura means cultivation of soil suggesting that the sign of a cultured person was to understand and know how to work with gardening realities like soil and plant and animal life. Gardening work is fundamental because in it we discover how to feed ourselves and others. In it we learn how to care for each other and the earth upon which we necessarily depend. We need to know the gardening insights that make food possible if we are not to fall into practices that degrade or undermine food production. Though it is possible for people to passively inhabit land, they are at their cultured best when they work with it, learn from and modify it, turning a particular plot into a place that satisfies human hunger, desire and need for art. A culture that is sustainable over the long term will at a bare minimum equip its people to appreciate and refine the skills and affections necessary to secure livelihood. Though people may sometimes act as if they can disregard or exceed the limits of land, a truly viable culture is one that has learned to integrate human desires harmoniously with the potential of any given habitat. All right, so I uh, realized that that was actually about two paragraphs or one paragraph and a little bit more um, I hope you guys enjoyed that section um, a lot of things stood out to me this in this little bit of of reading um, this is my first year really putting or even trying to, to garden and to to grow vegetables um before i've had plants and all sorts of succulents and um variety of plants that i've cared for and looked after but um the the place we're at now i have a little i I mean really little maybe only an eight by eight or ten by ten um raised garden and uh i tried growing some stuff this year and it went uh, i mean it went amazing it was such a cool experience being able to to go get the soil and um and plant what all, all the vegetables we grew um, a pretty good variety for such a small space. Um, and throughout the whole process, I was learning a lot from my grandparents um, because I mean, growing up, they always had farms or animals and were always caring for for the land and the other creatures that they used. Um, for work and um, that they cared for. So they have a really good understanding of, of, I mean, just gardening fundamentals or basics. Um, And and with that, like I've been reading a little bit or watching and reading uh, a lot about permaculture. And so trying to integrate a little bit of those practices into my first year of gardening um, and seeing how they might be able to complement what they're they're teaching me already and uh, seeing if they actually work. right. Um, and so, yeah, having that hands-on experience with a garden this year really, uh, made me realize like, okay, I want to, I want to have a larger garden than just this little practice space that I, um, I planted. Uh, and so it, it's, it's made me almost redirect the trajectory of where I want to be heading in life of, um, do I want to be pursuing my, um, photography and video um, job, or, um, or do I want to be going in another direction of, um, more of, I want to be having a, a small farm or, uh, work in the area of, um, food production. Um, yeah, so the, these, the, all these thoughts, I think were initiated by reading, um, this book and, uh, ever since then like i haven't really been able to put the topic down because growing up i i was always interested in nature and loved just going out into the forest and just listening and and being out there building forts um and so growing up on acres was really great great space for me and um and that's only grown and developed more as i've gotten older now um And for myself, I go through lots of phases of being like really deeply interested in something and just learning everything about it and then potentially not actually putting that knowledge into practice. So uh, when I was younger, I played lots of sports, um, learned as much as I could about them. And uh, and then but I actually was playing them. So that was really good. But I mean, before that, when I was really young, I can remember the first some of the first things that this. occurred in or this I don't know habit occurred in was uh skateboarding where I learned like the whole history of early skateboarding um and and then actually never actually skateboarded I did a little bit but I um yeah I never like went outside and like tried really hard to practice at getting good at skateboarding so um as I'm getting older I'm realizing all right I have to put my knowledge into practice um an example of this would be beekeeping. I spent a, a year, pretty much, learning about beekeeping. And if it wasn't for the guy who is sort of apprenticing me through this, I would never, I wouldn't have even started this year. I would have put it off to next year, and then next year could have been too busy, and I would could have lost interest potentially. Um, but then actually starting it and doing it um, really helps me. I don't know, feel feel grounded and um, beekeeping for example and then also gardening was another one of those things where I learned a bunch about gardening and um, and working with land and and vegetables and plants um, and then just being able to have this little space that wasn't even too overwhelming but I was actually able to work on um, anyways another another part that I really enjoyed in this paragraph was um, when he's talking about culture and like the Latin meaning cultura, meaning uh, cultivation of soil um, uh, here, I'll just read that sentence, uh, or two sentences again. Um, it is helpful to recall that in its earlier Middle English us- usage, the word culture referred to a piece of land. More specifically, it referred to a cultivated piece of land. The Latin cultura means cultivation of soil, suggesting that the sign of a cultured person was to understand and know how to work with gardening realities like soil and plant and animal life. Um, Yeah. So I, I found the the contrast between what we see as a cultured person today and then so interesting because now we, we look at people who are cultured as the people who have flown and traveled to all these different places in the world, experiencing different um, people groups uh, and our modern use of the word culture uh, of knowing different um, just, I don't know, traditional practices of Uh, various ethnicities or nationalities it's not it it almost has nothing to do with our understanding of the land that the people are on and uh, and I think I think the old old meaning of it is it really brings it down to the heart of that place and and that land Um, we're not going there just to take some knowledge of of their traditional clothing or dances or um, ceremonies were are there, and we we see how they work the land and how they are being responsible with what they're growing and how they're feeding their people and how they're providing economic sustainability for themselves. Um, and then I think to my experience with travel, um, a lot of people would say that I'm somewhat cultured because I've been to a lot of countries and I've seen a lot of different people. Um in these countries, but the, the places that stand out most to me are are the ones where I was actually able to see, like, what is their livelihood? What are they doing to sustain themselves? Um, Where, what food are they growing? How, how does their local economy affect their day-to-day life? And so the, the two places I can think of would be um, the first time that I went to Mexico we went to an orphanage and the the orphanage owned at the time a macadamia nut farm. And so their entire livelihood was set on, um, growing macadamia nuts. And I shouldn't say their entire livelihood, but a lot of it was set on growing macadamia nuts and tending to the trees and harvesting them. Um, and then, and then selling them. So, uh, it was just really cool seeing how the, the farms there in such a dry climate, um, are maybe not their primary food source, but do provide them the economic, um, I don't know, um, uh, well being to afford other food in that area. And the and other one I can think of is in Rwanda. We went to a pretty rural village, and uh, the people there farmed a lot of bananas and. Uh, through the fields, like you could see that uh, there were a lot of um, plots that weren't growing very well and a lot of um, space that was maybe being wasted. Um, but it was, it was fascinating seeing the people just work the land and work the soil by hand because they didn't have tractors out there. There's um, maybe a whole family or a dozen people in one field. Um, plowing it or planting seeds um, to grow bananas or various other vegetables or fruits um, and I can't recall whether the people that we were that were hosting us were saying like this area is doing really well um, because of the families and people that are growing stuff or if it, they were going through a little bit of a drought um, and weren't being able to harvest the amount that they were needing in order to provide for themselves. It was one of the, one of the extremes. I know that's not really helpful. Um, but yeah, like seeing where people's livelihoods come from and and when it comes from agriculture and food production, I find it just so much more intriguing and, and much more connected to the culture that the people are, um, living day to day because they are working with the soil and, their the land that their entire tradition has been brought up in uh, so when when an area is doing really poorly or when an area and a group of people have been irresponsible with their land uh, you can see like the economic downturn or just the the well-being that should be there from from their land providing for them and for their natural environment um, giving them the sustenance and, um, production they need. Um, but there's a lot of times where it's not, and there's, uh, irresponsible farming practices. And so I think a big part of our Western responsibility is, um, being able to take the luxury we have and, uh, and be able to practice sustainable practices of gardening or growing, and then bring them, to the people in those various areas who may not even be knowledgeable, but have just been doing it the same way for hundreds of years. I know that might be a contro- controversial um, opinion, but I think it, it would have some positive rather than negative. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't have a whole lot more to share on this, um, but I, I can really relate to it. Um, just going through the paragraph one more time to see if there's anything else that stood out to me. Yeah, and he, he wraps up the, the paragraph with saying, a culture that is sustainable over a long term will at bare minimum equip its people to appreciate and refine the skills and affections necessary to secure livelihood. So not only will the people be able to to work the land, but a sustainable way will continually provide livelihood for the people. It isn't like they're going to have um, a few decades of great wealth because their land is so fertile and they're getting a lot large yields. But they'll be able to do it in a way that is repeatable and long, has long term um, practices that continue to help future generations farm or grow or even um even have livestock in a way that's sustainable and equips their people for success. Um, And Also, a small interesting point was, um, I'll just read the the sentence. Uh, It's right at the end of the sentence that this sort of little nugget gets thrown in. Um, Though it is possible for people to passively inhabit land, they are at their cultured best when they work with it, learn from and modify it. Turning a particular plot into a place that satisfies human hunger, desire, and need for art. So right at the end, that, that need for art, um, and how our our understanding of art and um, and our practices of working with land are sort of intimately connected. We're not just um, we're not just working um, the soil for the i guess the to fulfill our hunger for food um but also our our inner human desire as well as our need for art and creativity and and it's just sort of like this one big i don't know continual circle um uh, that if we keep in mind our, our practices our gardening practices um, gardening in a, a larger sense agriculture and um, livestock then it will help influence the the creativity and the fulfillment that we feel in our day to day so yeah that's that's about it i have that's about all i have to say um on this paragraph uh, again as norman Wurzba's book food and faith a theology of eating um i highly recommend it it completely has changed my perspective on food and eating and our uh, reverence to the entire process of it. Um, I'll, I'll record another podcast for next week. Um, if you have any questions or comments or suggestions of how I could maybe improve this, this, um, I don't know, series, long-term series, hopefully, uh, let me know. Um, I hope that you enjoyed this week's show. Peace.